You are entering the Age Rebels Revolution. The intelligent podcast for over 40s wanting to live their best life and defy your numbers. We are your hosts, Summer Bentley and Isaac Xavier. Come on in. O'Hanlon is one of the most genius people I think I've ever met in my entire lifetime. He's also one of the most relaxed, but intense, confident, interesting people Isaac and I have ever met. And we use those terms together in the way that we describe Finn. He's a tech genius and he's floated a company on the Australian Stock Exchange and he's a supremely talented musician, a TEDx speaker, and he's incredibly busy, but still finds time to mentor people he believes in, which blows my mind, to be honest. Yeah. And honestly, this is a very brief introduction in comparison to all the things that Finn has achieved in his lifetime. Once you hear his stories, you will be what Isaac has described as crazily inspired to live a life you didn't really ever envision as possible. And I can absolutely concur with those words because I've worked personally with Finn as my mentor and created extraordinary results in a very short period of time. Now, Isaac has given me an introduction and he's used these specific words and I could not have put it better myself. He said, he has a quantum way about him where you will talk about obstacles and walls that stop you achieving what you want. And Finn will show you that these are merely self-created illusions. Isaac, Perfect words. That's who Finn is. He, as this podcast is called, as it's man from another planet has come <laughs> down to visit and help us. He is. He's just such a diverse human that there is no edges to him. He is just fully creative, expanded, extraordinary. I've never met anyone like him. Yeah, the word limit doesn't apply. It's no limit. It is no limit. And I mean, I don't even know if that is. Are there any words to describe Finn? All right. Well, let's get stuck into Finn's world and get him on the line. Yep. So Finn, thank you so much for making time for Tink and I today in this podcast. We are so, so happy to share your wisdom, genius, and fun with the world. Well, guys, it's a, it's a real honour. You, you, you're great, both great friends, and uh, you know that's just uh, it's just nice to be chatting to you. So <laughs> the feeling is very mutual. Very mu- yeah, mutual admiration society. And <laughs> I'm just going to let people know how we we met. Actually, that um, Tink and I we first met. Just to let the people know, Finn, a few years ago at a really really interesting event slash conference at Byron Bay where everyone was both a presenter and also an attendee. And I did a pitch one night asking for a mentor for a program that Tink and I had put together we wanted to take to schools. And the next day at breakfast, Finn came down, approached me and said, I really like your idea and let's talk. And many years later, we're still talking and learning much from this, what I call you as a spaceman genius from another planet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> come, come down to visit us and, and help us mere that's, mortals. That's, that's exactly what it's like. He's come down to bring this genius that's not really known on planet Earth. <laughs> and, and you can check him out on um, his TEDx talk and 
his website and you'll see that, and I hope this doesn't offend you, Finn, um, that he looks like an 80s rocker straight out of Motley Crue, but the sort of guy that will walk into a boardroom and knock them all flat with his genius. So <laughs> so if you create that picture of of this this uh, amazing, I'll call him a lad because you, you, you'd still like to have this incredible childlike way about you. So... Yeah. First, you make me sound you make me sound a lot better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> now we've um, Tink and I recently did a um, masterclass workshop on innovation, and then Tink dove even more deeply into that world of innovation and worked with you personally for a while. Now, mm-hmm. with innovation, you taught us so much more than what our normal understanding of the word is. You know, it's something, you know, you teach, but it's in a way that few people would ever really know. Can you tell us about this, your take on what innovation is? Yeah. So look, I'm the, I'm the chapter president of, of uh, GINI, which is the Global Innovation Institute, American Institute out of the USA in Australia, here in the APAC region. And, you know, it's just really interesting because they're, they're a large organization. They're in 40 countries, over 10,000 certified innovators. And, and what's interesting is when I first hooked up with them as being an entrepreneur, you know, they gave me this, this snapshot of what innovation is. And, you know, I, I had my own definition at the time and, and well, just like everyone does, but I've always been really interested in words that have a lot of ambiguity that mean different things to different people. And innovation was one of those words. So, you know, going through their program, you know, I've come to learn that innovation is the creation of something. So you've got to, you've got to output something mm-hmm. and it has to have value for someone else. So if you create something and it has to be new. So if you create something brand new that isn't measured on its value to someone else, it's an invention. And that's the difference between invention and innovation. So innovation is is when it actually has measurable value for someone else. So innovation is an output. It's not a thing. It's so when someone says, "Oh, an iPhone's an innovation." Well, it is because it's it's created, it's new, and it's been measured with someone else. Mm-hmm. But, but to a market or to an audience or to its users. Yeah. So that's really the key definition of innovation and its differentiation between invention. I think that's so important that that difference there because I think innovation is often seen as something created, full stop, and yeah. that applicable aspect where you're applying it to a, a user or an end user is often forgotten. And I know that we spoke about the very common problem that people don't see things through. So you talked about the beginning, the middle and the end point. Yeah. Can you delve into that a little bit? Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, especially in corporate Australia or the corporate world in general, they say, look, we've got an innovation team and we're doing innovation or we, we are, we, you know, we're, we're great at innovation. And then it's the, I go, okay, fantastic. So show me what you've created. And they go, well, you know, we've got a team on innovation. And so if you've got to create something, it's called an innovation output. And to do, to create something, to see it through, innovation isn't just a team sitting down with beanbags and post-it notes and being creative and coming up with ideas. In fact, ideas are often the enemy of innovation. And that really blows people's minds because they go, well, aren't ideas innovation? It's like, no, because uh, you've got to turn an idea into an opportunity. And so when what it's called is you've got what's called the front end of innovation. Mm-hmm. And what that zone, there's three zones of innovation. The front end of innovation 
is about trying to find a problem to solve and then finding out what's called the problem behind the problem. So what that means in, in, in very simple terms is that most times when someone says there's a problem, there's a problem behind that problem. So someone will say, oh, you know, this, this gate's broken. That's the problem. But really the problem behind the gate being pro- broken is because it hasn't been serviced for many years, For exa- as an example. Mm-hmm. So it's about trying to find what's the real problem behind the problem. And then it's using tools to come up with solutions. Now, this is where most people get stuck. They go, okay, well, we came up with the ideas and we figured out how to solve the problem. Yeah, but that's not actually innovation. You're not creating it. So then it's what's called, that's the front end of innovation, finding a problem to solve and then using tools and design methods to come up with a solution to that problem. But then when you've got the solution to the problem, you've got to turn it into something. And then to turn it into something, it gets passed to what's called the mid-zone of innovation. And that's normally when strategists and financial people get involved. And that's about saying, well, if we were to build this, how much would it cost? Do we have the capability? Do we have the resources? Do we partner with someone? How do we partner with someone? What's the distribution channels? How would we market this? What would be the cost to manufacture? What would be the cost to retail? How did we know? All of that sort of stuff is in what's called the mid-zone of innovation. And then that's when an idea is turned into an opportunity, is when you know that actually we've come up with a solution, but we've actually know that we can build this we know how much it would be worth. We know how much profit's potentially in it. And we know how much value it will create for the end, end users. And then to actually make it or to create it, the innovation, uh, then it goes gets passed to what's called the back end of innovation. They're the three zones. The back end's where you actually manufacture, produce, design, test, uh, you will pilot, all of that sort of stuff, and then continually measure. So it typically takes three zones and three different sets of processes with often three different types of people. So a lot of people that I talk to, they think that innovation is only for creative people, but it's not because the mid zone and the back end are completely different types of skill sets. Most financial people who are really good with, with, with strategy or finance don't realize they have a place in, in innovation. And same with most product managers or project managers or, or product testers or, you know, so, so yeah, so to make something or to create something that has realized value for someone else means you have to have measurement in place. You've got to have created it. And to do that requires three different zones. Wow. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. does. It absolutely does. And something I really want to draw a strong parallel here is when I was in a deep dive with you and we were doing an incredible amount of work. What I started with and what I ended up with were two different things. And it was just extraordinary, the journey that we took to get there and how quickly Mm -hmm. that unfolded. And it went from head to heart Mm -hmm. in that process, which is something people don't consider, I don't think, in the innovation space. So Mm -hmm. during that process, you actually taught me that the education would impact all aspects of my life from business through to relationships. And you said- You would see, think and see things differently after knowing this. And yep. although it seemed subtle at the time, like post uh, the post weeks after when because I went overseas and that interrupted our mentoring, and mm-hmm. and I'm still yet to come back to you, and I definitely will be. But in that process, what ended up happening is I now can look back in hindsight and I can see exactly what you were saying that mm. you do think and see things differently. So can you share more about how you see the power of innovation in everyday life? Yeah. So let me just um, just 
jump into another endpoint so that, and then I'll wind that back. Mm-hmm. So Deloitte uh, has just put out their, their recent forecast on the future of work. And basically they say that most kids that are entering school now, by the time they finish school, the jobs, 61% of the job types that will be available in the market don't yet currently exist. Wow. Okay. So we've, we ha- we're entering the world, well, we're already in the world, whereby artificial intelligence is really great at, at reproducing uh, on automating types of work. And it's encroaching in more and more on the different jobs that we were brought up as, uh, as people to do. But what that does is whilst some people get scared of it, it actually creates new jobs. And so there's the, but the skills required to work in these jobs haven't been taught. And so I'm part of a group, I'm part of an Australian standard. I'm the uh, subject matter expert on creativity for the what's called the human capability standards. And what it is, is that the people are going to need to actually learn to be called what's called T-shaped individuals. Hmm. And so most people that might be listening to this podcast would understand that we've been taught and we've been brought up into a society whereby we learn a specific set of skills and we get better and better at those skills. And that's called domain expertise. So I'm a mathematician. I'm a gym instructor. I am a neuro, neuroscientist. I am, you know, a, a meditation specialist. Whatever subject or domain you have, and typically you get smarter and smarter and smarter of that over your life until you get to a level of expertise. And sometimes you might do two or three or four of these domain expertises. So you might have someone who's a great mathematician, but also someone who's a great yoga teacher, for example. Mm-hmm. But that's what's called, that's an I-shaped individual. That's someone who has vertical uh, domain expertise in one or a surrounding group of subjects. What a T-shaped individual is someone who can connect the unconnected, who can see across domains, Hmm. who knows how to use empathy to elicit understandings from another individual, someone who has the skills to be able to reorganize and see patterns of data to produce new outputs. So it's this, you know, empathetic thinking, creative imagination, uh, uh, innovative mindsets, all of these type of things, collaboration, are the new skills. And what that does, not just for an individual, but for a large organization, it means that they have a workforce who, if the organization needs to move, to pivot, to shift, they don't just have to lay off people. They They have a workforce that's adaptable that can move. And it means the workforce is happier. So it builds a better culture because in the discovery tools about understanding what's, what people are really great at on an emotive level or a, or a cognitive level, it means that these people actually get more out of their work because the, the organization can put them in into roles which actually get more out of the individual. So what happens when, and it's all, I'm, I'm, no, I'm getting a long way around here, but I'm getting back to the answer mm-hmm. now, but mm-hmm. going through and learning innovation and learning the, the, the systematic processes around innovation in terms of creating innovation outputs allows an individual to develop two parts of their mindset. One is the ability to gain insights and the other one is to develop the ability to connect, associate, or to associate. And so you might have heard people that say in the past, left brain, right brain. Mm-hmm. Well, the new cognitive mindset is insights and associations. Mm. So insights is how do you find the questions that other people can't find? How do you get the data? How do you find human data? 
how do you act as a human? How do you become, how do you elicit this, these insights? And then the second part of that is how creative are you? Because creativity isn't painting. It's not playing guitar. Creativity is the creating solutions to problems by the reorganization of existing things. So this is where the ability to associate and connect things in new ways to create new outcomes. These are the skills that are now part of the human capability standard. But going through an innovation and learning innovation is a massive human operating system upgrade. So it's your, I call it the first big upgrade to the human OS since the, uh, you know, the standard education process that we've been built because we've been, we've been educated into a world that no longer exists. Mm, yeah. That's a significant contribution to evolution. Well, it absolutely is. And, and it's funnily enough, it's a, in the past, the way we've been brought up, we, most of the skills that people have poo-pooed because they're not business and that's not where you get a job are actually the things that are becoming the most valuable. These are the human skills. These are the skills that artificial intelligence isn't replacing. This is the thing that how can you teach a computer to collaborate uh, between humans? How can you teach a, a computer how to manifest love? How can you teach a, commu- a computer to uh, augment human connection? You just can't. And so there won't be, so it's the, but what will happen is as computers augment our lives for the better to make us more, to take away the menial things, Mm. it gives us a chance to be more human. It gives us a chance to develop the skill sets that make us as a race much more connected, much more alive, much more contribute, much more, but much more from the emotional level rather than the actual. A, a, it's more a uh, rather than a, a, a skill set level. It's much more of our inept, our internal capability level. I don't know if this is all making sense. That it's makes just, perfect uh, sense, and that right there eliminates mm. from me without argument. It completely eliminates the fear that technology will cause humans to be out of work forever, and that that can completely put a full stop to the end of that. Because what you just said that humans are now being given the opportunity to become more human and focus on the things that keep us human and connected and feeling the good feels whilst not needing to do the menial things because technology is taking care of it. Uh, that has completely flipped the lid on. Well, it does. Um, and look, what, 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 um, it does, it's not that it frustrates me at all. I, I just find it interesting as an observation is that who out there is telling us that? Mm. We've got technology people, and uh, look, of which one of, I'm one of them, but people who are stuck in the world of explaining through technology and being excited about technology can't map the, uh, can't connect the associations that we talked about before with how do you translate that into a language that most people understand? A lot of those technologists haven't developed those human capabilities. Then you've got the people who have good human capabilities who don't understand technology. So it really takes... It, you know, I, I honestly believe that, you know, we're entering in an age which is going to be so amazing for people. But unfortunately, people are in fear because only because they don't know and because they've been cultivated and programmed into a way of thinking, which is hard for them to change. You know why? Because they've never been taught how to change. They've been taught that this is good and that is bad. And if you do that, you're going to get no work. 
And so now you've got all these kids coming out of university with master's degrees getting jobs in Uber. Mm. And so it's no longer relevant anymore. So we're in a different world and we need to not be in fear of it. We just need to ask the question, well, how do I learn to adapt? What, how do I learn to, rather than be, oh, the world's changing and I don't get it and it's, I, I, don't, my, I don't have any value or I can't see it. There's a world of opportunity there. And you see, where we're headed and where we are now is that the skills that you've amassed over your career are still completely valid. It's just when you add the T on the top of the T to the I that you've currently got, allows you to use all the skills that you've amassed through your career in new and interesting ways with new and interesting people to create new and interesting outcomes. So none of the things that you've you've learned uh, are, are waste. The different, the different, I think Summer, you know, we we and I think Isaac as well, when we did the boot camp, mm-hmm. we talked about Steve Jobs as different like diverse life experiences and how those things at a, at a given time, he didn't understand how they'd be valuable. But those diff, all these different diverse life experiences that people have. When you have the power of association, you can connect those experiences. Stuff that didn't seem to make sense uh, can now come together to come up with new ways of value and new ways to inspire your life. If you're ready to age young, discover the truth about accessing the fountain of youth and claiming your best ever health, jump into our free Facebook group where we share the best information, including behind the scenes of our podcast and coaching. Just search for the group Defy Your Numbers or email us at hi at agerebels.com and we will add you. So with all of that, I'm sure people listening are saying, this sounds wonderful. What's my first step? Finn, I, I, this excites me, but where do I go? I feel a bit overwhelmed. What would you guide them to do? So to be totally honest, the first step is contact me. <laughs> Good yeah, answer. Yeah, well, I second yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm being yeah. honest because yeah. sort of, look, it's, uh, there's, there's a certain breed, a certain type of, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to, to put it into words because it's not an academic process. You sit, but it is. It has systems, frameworks, and methods. So, yeah. you know, look, you've both gone through the boot camp, and mm-hmm. some we've done one-on-one, in deep, pulling apart, putting things together, but running through systems and processes. So it's it's partially a a set of evidence-based systems and processes, but on the other side, it's about using them in a way that's a pl- in a that's an applied method whereby it's not just academic, remember this and you get a good score. Yeah, It's about actually how do you make things simple and how do you put them into practice? So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a number of people that I know that are, that are like myself who have got diverse life experiences who, ha- who are trained in this, these methods, but um, there's not a lot of us at the moment, but mm. they will be. There, yeah. there, there are people who are good in innovation, but we're talking about this is about personal development but understand innovation processes. Well, the exciting thing is that instead of people saying, I've got to get another degree, I've got to get this qualification, where often as member Will Connolly at Space, Egg Boy, and how he was saying that school was just stressful because all it was was a regurgitation process. You just learn it and then you regurgitate it, you get a mark, which is the complete 
opposite of what you're talking about, and we've got to get beyond that. So with so let's well, say, just go just on. on that too, Isaac. Mm. That uh, look, I'm part of I'm part of a group called Capability Co. And Capability Co. is really aimed at large enterprise organizations, but it's built on the back of the, what's called the human capability standards, which mm-hmm. are half a million people in Australia have already gone through it, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there are 12 components to the human capability standards, and these human capability standards are about creating T-shaped individuals. So if mm-hmm. you're listening to this and you're part of an organization who wants to build a workforce uh, with this sort of capability, then you know I would I would strongly suggest that you check out capability.co, the website mm-hmm. of which I am a subject matter expert in the in the field of creativity. So I can with the I've got in the learning management system. There's me teaching um, the both in video both the beginners and advanced creative courses. But there's also eleven other great individuals, subject matter experts teaching teaching them. So. You know, there's a groundswell of of this stuff happening, but um, yeah, it's it's there's still not many of us at the moment. You know, I wanted to share two stories to put because people love and I love your stories, and it really puts things into context. And Tank's got a question about one of your amazing innovations regarding your music and related to health and wellness. But there's two things that one where we worked on together. And your mindset was, I came to you and said, okay, we have this program. We know that kids aren't moving well. We know that they're addicted to their phones. We want to try and get them to be more mobile, you know, breath, posture, all that sort of stuff. You said, Isaac, that's all very well, but don't tell kids not. Don't tell them to don't do something. What we want to do is get them to use their technology and use those skills. So that is that part of your innovation process. And can you Talk us through what you did when we worked together, which was put on hold because of the COVID thing. Yeah, sure. Look, quite. It's it's uh, to give to make it very simple, uh, which is what I love doing. Is that most people? I want to say most people. Most people come up with an idea, mm-hmm. and this is what I want to do, and that's great. That's fantastic. And so when they work with me, I go, "What's the problem it solves?" and 50% of people get stuck on that question. Mm. That's the very first thing. So then then when we get to that's the problem we're solving, then I go, the next question is, how do you know it's a problem that you're solving? Give me some evidence. Get the evidence around it. Mm. Right? So when they get the evidence around it, then what they're doing is they're, they're learning the value, how much the attributable value of solving that problem is worth. It also teaches them the, the audience. So let's say with, for example, with a program that we talked about mm-hmm. it was uh, my process is, okay, we've identified a real problem. Then we've got evidence which tells us that it's a problem worth solving. Mm-hmm. So having a problem is one thing, but finding a problem worth solving uh, is another mm-hmm. thing. So then what the problem is typically assigned to a type of User, market, technology, whatever. It's 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 related to a specific vertical. So in in the case when working with you, it was we've got to get started kids moving. This is the problem. Great. Well, who's it a problem for? What's a problem for the kids? Okay. So what we have to do is we have to think about, we have to now think through a design thinking lens. What do the kids think? 
how do they think? This is where empathy comes in. Let me put myself into a study mode and learn how kids interact. What are they saying? What are they doing? And so by doing this, you start to get insights into how the audience reacts, not what you think about their problem, but how, how might they understand that problem? How might they digest it? Then the problem it comes into what's called an MUBT matrix, which is without getting technical, it basically means you have to solve any problem. There is normally someone that will suffer from you solving that problem, regardless of what it is. So let's say mm. you've got a new streaming service. Well, there might be a competing one. There might be a, a video rental box. So there'll be someone somewhere that'll be put off by your innovation or your new product to market. The goal is how do you make a solution where every single person wins? And so it's quite a challenge because you've got to think, well, how do the parents figure into this? What's the message for them? What's the parent? What's the message for the kids? What's the message for the gyms that might be put out of business or the programs that might be put out of business by coming up with a new program? What is the message for the governments who are trying to get kids healthy? What is the message for the people who don't want kids' privacy? So it's about thinking through all the different 360-degree stakeholders in a, in a problem. So it's basically thinking about if there's a problem – all list all the different people who might be interacting with that problem. And then it it's basically, I treat it like a game. If you've really found a problem that's worth solving, then you have to go and identify every person that's touching that problem currently and try and come up with a message and a narrative that, that will or retune your product to, to, to a point whereby it creates value for all of those. And people say that's impossible, but I do it all the time. That's yeah. uh you know, it's, it's just a process and it's a challenge. And sometimes you might only get three out of the four. If you're doing markets, users, business, and technology There's four different segments that I use. You might only get three, but if you get three of them, right, you've taught yourself the three different messages you need to message to each, each different segment of the market. You understand the threats, you understand everything about your competitor, you know, the potential value, you know, how to tell the story, it's basic because people often ask me, well, here's my, here's my idea. How do I do a pitch deck to investors or how do I do this? And it's like, well, now you need to learn the art of storytelling. But to tell the art of storytelling, you need the jigsaw puzzle pieces, which are the insights that you need to gather to then put them together in a story-like methodology. So all the work that I get people to do is actually – they don't realize at the time, but they're actually building all the insights that allow them to, no matter who they talk to, rearrange the puzzle pieces, again, creativity, in a way that actually resonates with the intended audience. That's amazing. I, honestly, having done it and applied it, and then on all the different levels that we applied it, at first it felt like oh, my brain hurt so bad, but yeah. it got easier and easier and quicker and quicker to do. It's amazing how quickly our brain does adapt to that. Well, you're a star student, Summer, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you really are. But, but it is hard, right? Because I have to explain to people, you are, I'm teaching you to become a detective. You have to learn to look for evidence. You have to look for insights. Mm. By starting to train your brain that way, training it on insights and associations, and as I said to you, you know, you, it will change you. You start to look at things and you start to see cracks in things. You start to see opportunities. People have often said to me my whole life, how did you see that? How did you get that? How did you meet this person? How did you do this? 
And I often say, I used to say, I don't know. But I learned because uh, as I got older and I learned these processes, I learned that I was still very curious. I hadn't become burned out. I still wanted to learn. I didn't want to become an expert because I realized when, I, when you're an expert, you stop learning and you start teaching. You start defending a viewpoint. I wanted to be open. I wanted to be curious. I wanted to, I wanted to make connections with people that were out, were, that I didn't, that, that didn't do the things that I did. You know, I was a musician that was into coding. And then I meet people like Isaac and Summer who are just amazing. And, but the connections between you find a tribe, which is connected on a level that's not a job level. It's just, is a human level. And it's just, it's so exciting to me. It's, incredibly exciting everything that like my heart is beating faster just hearing you talk because it's <laughs> taking me back to when I was working with you and I'm like oh I was so juiced and I just wanted to do the work so much because it was so compelling and different and a new way of thinking but I'm going to link it back to health and something that yeah. I love and and it's a working example of innovation I would have to say is that you developed an audio mix that uses methods to enhance human performance and alter mood so just yeah. to finish off this conversation, can you tell us why you chose that avenue? How does it work and where do people find that? Sure. So me being Mr. Curious, as always, I'm living in Los Angeles and I was doing all these albums with all these famous musicians. <clears throat> and um, I've always been interested in sound and engineering and production. And so I've got a big studio and recording and that sort of stuff. And so I, I was got really interested in reading the science behind sound and got into psychoacoustics, which is a, it's basically without getting into the technicalities, it's about using principles in, in sound that actually can create auditory illusions or be able to place sounds in space. So it was all mathematics. So I started learning all this stuff. I was just curious. I didn't know what I was looking for. And so out of that, I learned that music has been tuned uh, to a mathematical equation called Pythagorean tuning or 12-tone temperament tuning. And without being technical, what it basically means is that in uh, there was a tuning ratified in the 20th century that basically said that this is the note C, this is the note D, this is the note E, and this is the frequency that each note is. So all guitars, basses, and drums, or not drums, but all all melodic instruments were tuned to. And, I, and so, And everyone just accepts that. And go, yeah, that's a tuner, and that's the tuning system. So I said, well, how? what was Tibetan bowls tuned at? Mm. And what was gongs tuned at? And the thing is they weren't tuned at because they, they didn't produce a single note frequency. And so I started getting really interested in trying to figure out how ancient things were tuned, sitars, tablas, uh, uh, you know, the, how were these things tuned? And they were tuned to, in a lot of ways, what's called harmonic tuning, which was, it was tuned till it resonated till, with a human being. So, oh, that sounds good. Right. Rather yeah. than this is the mathematics of, I know I'm at a 440 Hertz. And so then there was this whole movement around 432 Hertz tuning and, and 528 Hertz, which is, you know, like the spirit or the, the Gregorian tuning systems and, and, but they're still flawed because even when you tune one note to that frequency, means everything else is still tuned by Pythagorean math. So none of that worked. So anyway, I basically started being curious and looking at the technicalities and going into deeper. deeper it, I worked out that what would, it, as an experiment, it look like if I built a new tuning system where I could take a mix of pre-recorded music, 
slice it into 48 slices, which is each note of a musical scale over four octaves, and retune those notes to scientific data that says that these are the frequencies that people most resonate with. And so, so I built a new tuning system for mixers. And then I added these cues that are used in wellness, like binaural beats, HRTFs, some of these other psychoacoustic principles in an experiment to see that if I did that and I added these frequencies, could I actually make people on cue by listening to whatever music they wanted more relaxed, more energized, more in a state of flow. And so we're currently, and so I did that with my business partner. His dad was a famous musician called Frank Zappa in the, uh, in the seventies and eighties. And so his son, Ahmet Zappa and myself went about, we patented this technology and we started doing some trials and had some neuroscientists in Switzerland doing EEG brainwave analysis. And, and look, the responses have been really, really interesting. And so we're sort of with that technology is called Resonics. I've built a number of companies in the past that are forward-looking technologies, and it's taken me a long time to commercialize those businesses. So I basically just parked it. I came back to Australia from the US, and I thought I'd just wait and sit on it until the world starts to tune into, no pun intended, the the power that aud- that lies within audio. And so that now seems to be happening. I'm in conversa- early conversations with some really amazing people at Apple and uh, we're talking to Universal and some, so it's, it's, it's interesting times because to me, the power of sound in a auditory and non-auditory, which is what you can hear sound, you can feel as well as hear. Mm. And so it's the, it's, there's so much hidden information in the, in that you think about like um, uh, ultrasound used in so many different things to rebuild cartilage, to, childbirth to there's a whole different whole different things there's stuff happening with in the cognitive sense well that's still sound radar is still sound you know there's all these sort of these sort of things that so for me it's a great big black void of opportunity and i just love it because i love music i spent my whole life in music and i love sound and i love wellness uh, and i love brain you know i just love the enhancing cognitive sort of intellect. Yeah, it's what we've seen. And the the two things that have just leapt out at me <clears throat> that I hadn't realized that you'd taught me, and I really wanted to highlight them for people is one is curiosity. And as I've said, you have this childlike way about you, even though you're this genius from another planet, that just you start to look at things totally differently. And the other thing is, and which I'm really going to keep in check myself because often people say, oh, yes, you're a wellness expert. Now I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want that because you don't want to be walking around defending a viewpoint. That defense of a viewpoint, I can see, really stifles your creativity, yeah? Well, yeah, look, it it doesn't mean that you don't have an incredible wealth of knowledge, Mm. but, you know, it's look, it's a term that's been associated with, well, I'm going to go to you because you know everything, and for me, I don't like to know everything because, you know, I love to unlearn because it's where I find the gaps, where I find the innovations. Mm. I don't know many experts that can see new opportunities. They normally are the ones that are sort of hanging on for what they've learned. They, they've built a set of rules around what their belief system is, and then they'll defend that belief system because their whole brand, their ego is tied up into that belief system. And so, I, look, I did a talk online. It's, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Being an Expert at Not Being an Expert. <laughs> I love that. And m- most people Brilliant. laugh about that topic, but the topic actually means I'm teach- I teach tools to experts 
to go beyond being an expert. Mm. And there's a level beyond being an expert when you can use your expertise and put it in the shed and pull out the tools when you need, when you're by using curiosity to reassemble the data. And that's being a creative, someone who's a creative individual who uses their expertise. And a lot of expert, most experts that I know can't get beyond that because they, they don't want to throw the rules away. Is that their whole branch? So my talk is about trying to teach people a couple of simple tools that help them go beyond being an expert. Brilliant. So where can people con- either contact you? Are you still taking on people? The Rosonics, is that available? What can people yeah, grab so, of your stuff so I, in? I'm about to launch. Uh, so I'm a, I've got my – I work – I have a business called the APAC Innovation Institute, and we do courses on innovation, GNE courses, and we can do certification up to chief innovation officers. But I'm about, to, I'm about to launch a very limited innovation as a service product, which means I you can get my capability to help you personally or into your organization. I can come in and I can, I often work with boards and help them, you know, understand the future or I can help, I could just help in a number of different ways, depending on what the organization wants. So the best way to contact me really is through LinkedIn. Yep. If you look at my Finborough Hanlon website, you'll see all my music. Uh, It hasn't been updated with all my speaking and my Mm -hmm. professional work. So I'm one of these multi-headed Hydra type people who who do different things. So (laughs) 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 thank you so much, Finn, for joining us for that incredible deep dive that again my head has expanded my brain has expanded my and it, brain is <laughs> an expanded mind will never shrink so Finn honestly we we can barely fit in the room we're sitting in now <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if, if I've confused anyone about that. no people are going to need to listen to it a few times and take notes yeah yeah well it's uh I'm, I'm always only just an email away on LinkedIn if anyone needs to so it's just what, want to ask me any questions or, or I'm always happy to help. I, even if it's just a couple of questions, I'm more than happy just to sort of just try and provide anywhere I can provide value. I will. Thanks. Actually. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Finn. Thanks, Finn. Thanks, guys. Okay. Take care. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining this podcast. Want to take the conversation further and learn more about how to live an energized, pain-free life as you age? Jump into our free Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defy your numbers. If you have any questions or ideas for topics, shoot us an email at hi at agerebels.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Age Rebels Revolution. Mm-hmm.